got car trouble. Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Boy, we have been beating. Uh, I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me riding shotgun, and my buddy Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing. And Jim's been real good about keeping us up on what's going on with towing, why he has to tow vehicles, uh, crashes, do's and don'ts. And he's in it every day. I couldn't ask for a better co-host on this program to come in and tell us what the heck is going on because all of us will sit there and drive and complain about uh, the way people drive. And isn't that right, Jim? And good morning we again. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for being with us. Happy New Year and for all those who weren't up on the who who were a little little slow on the uptake this morning from our our in our celebrations last night. You know, just lay in bed there, listen to me and Jerry. Our soft, soothing voices can help help that yeah, hangover. Right. That's our new hangover remedy, Jerry. We'll we'll talk them down. We'll talk them down. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk them down. They'll be like, "Oh, my head." <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> as far as trying to keep you abreast, I do my best to keep you guys up to date. Um, and hopefully keep you from having to be towed needlessly. So that's that's my goal. That's my goal. I appreciate all the information that you're giving us because it's it's straight from being on the road every day. Like I said, you're a workaholic. I, we I discussed that with you last week. You're a workaholic. You work all time, and the information that you get is very real and in real time. So that's pretty amazing. This portion of the show is brought to you by Merrill's Automotive. They have about a, a 10 stores in Tucson, Arizona, and they're scattered throughout. Uh, they've got them in Sierra Vista, Marenzi, Globe, Casa Grande, Green Valley, and they've got daily runs to the big Tucson Wirehouse on South Dodge Boulevard. They're the real deal when you're looking for quality parts at competitive price. Foreign, domestic, and 18-wheeler. So you can, and they have equipment also. And then out on uh, West Ajo, they have a machine shop that turns rotors, flywheels, and drums, and they're open on Saturday, 572-1734. I don't know if they're open today, so you might have to call them first, 572-1734. The rest of them go to merlesauto.com, and you can find out where the nearest 
Merrill story is next to you and give them a shout. And like I said, you may want to call them first when you pick up the address out of the Google or whatever you're using and see if they're open so they can get you service today. You know, a, a lot of people are open on today. Uh, I don't know if Merle's is. I didn't get a chance to give them a shout. So that's good quality park. I use them. Brian uses them. Parker uses them. Everybody uses them. Parker Automotive is another one that you need to take a listen to. Parker Automotive Service Center, they're located at 51. 01 East Speedway, beautiful location, beautiful building, beautiful, just a very top-of-the-line shop, automotive repair center. They do everything, air conditioning, brakes, engines, differentials, front state-of-the-art front-end alignment equipment. Uh, they, they just do it all. Very good, very honest, and that's what I look for. And the difference between an honest shop <coughs> – if they make a mistake, they own up to it, and they don't charge you to fix their mistakes. And that's the reason Automotive Specialist is advertising on this program. That's the reason Parker Automotive is advertising on this program. 323-1960, Parker Automotive, 323-1960. If you're looking for a place on East Speedway, closer to your house or something, that's who I'd recommend, Parker Automotive Service Center. If you're looking for a place over on the west side, that would be automotivespecialistaz.com. The phone number there is 572-1734. That's the business phone. Brian's personal sale is 237-3852. They're located 3611 West Ina Road. That's at Meredith and Ina. That is uh, Mr. Test First, Don't Guess, and uh, you'll enjoy the service there, too. They're both these two places, Parker and Automotive Specialists and Simmons 4 before. of course. We've been in business longer than both of them almost, uh, but not really. Uh, we've only been there about 47, 46 years now, approaching 47 years. And Simmons Automotive is a full-service auto repair center. We have about 10 people working there. We have a drive shaft specialty shop. That's the reason I found the F-150 uh, drive shafts coming out. That was good information that I'll pass on to my guys because that's going to be a mess. Because if they don't come out right now and they're they're built with a flaw, they will be coming out eventually. That's the reason I said call the number that I give you the first hour on a recall for these Ford trucks from November, from January 10, 10th to November 2021, 866-436-7332, 866-436-7332. If you have a 2021 F-150, give this number a call and see if your vehicle is covered under this uh Recall because uh, they are, uh, <laughs> you don't want a drive shaft falling out on the road. We fix a lot of them over at the shop. And we do, uh, we have the capabilities of balancing three piece drive shafts at one time. I have a balancer, computerized balancer, that'll handle 25 foot. The base is 25 foot. So 25 foot covers a lot of drive shaft on a box truck 
and we do 18 wheelers. We do mine equipment. We can cut up to nine and a half inches on the mine equipment shafts. We build 18 wheeler shafts. Um, we 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 do aluminum drive shafts. We do conversion drive shafts. And if you don't like your aluminum shaft, you want a steel shaft. We can build you a steel shaft to go in and balance it, where you don't you don't even know you've got a steel shaft in there. Um, so we're um, we, we we can handle it. And uh, Simmons is eight eight four zero two one seven. All right, we got a caller on the line, Jimbo. Who we got, Andrew? Uh, looks like you guys got Spencer on the line. All right, let's go with Spencer. Spencer, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Jerry. Uh, first, I had a comment, and then I got a question about a vehicle. First comment is I understand about the buses. They're um, with the electric and the cost of them, but I just wanted to throw in there that they are riding people free until June again of 2022. So <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there. Anybody can get on a bus, light rail, or anything until June for free. So and here's my I question. That. Yep, that uh, just that occurred. So this is, you know, that's part of the way they work here for free. <laughs> so anyway. What's your question, buddy? Okay, my question is, uh, I have a 2008 Toyota Corolla, and the, the dash lights are not, they're not working, but yet the tail light, the brake lights work, the reverse lights work, the turn signals work, pretty much all the lights work except the the running lights, like for night driving, and the, and the dash lights. I don't know if they're connected, but they're not working, and I... Well, you checked all the fuses, and they all appear to be good to my eye. That's so I don't know what that issue could be. Okay, it could be a, a, a rear stat. Um, it, you know, uh, electrical something. If you actually have to have it, you you need to see it in order to find out what the problem is. That's probably that's right. kind of like the um, intermittent problems that you have on vehicles. How long has this been out? Uh, probably several months, but just car never goes out at night. So when it just started with the darkness of winter, started noticing that there were no lights. You know, in okay. the morning and when you don't you just gone. Don't you have an adjustment for the dash lights? Yes, and it's all the way up, and nothing, still nothing. We tried all those; those are too easy, but. I don't know. I, I checked the bulbs too because, and the rear bulbs and all of them, I didn't see anything burned out. They're all working fine. Uh huh. And in your uh, circuit, you don't have any blown fuses, and no, you do have a light circuit. You, have you found Have you found a circuit for the uh, instrument cluster? Uh. I don't think I haven't seen. I really don't know where it would be, but all the pretty much everything okay. on the dash works except the radio. Everything works. The only thing that doesn't work is just the, you know, for the, uh, I guess the speedometer and uh, the gas. All those little. It's just in that little round dome in front of the steering wheel doesn't work. Well, heaters, uh, everything the, works. Uh, uh, clock spring. Uh, 
you really, you know, I mean, we could sit here and shoot at it. And, and yeah, I hear you. But I don't think I'm going to be that much of a help to you. Uh, right. You need to actually take it in to a speedo shop or take it in to a the dealership. Uh, what side of right. town are you on? Well, it's coming to your side place of... on Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I have the, an appointment for Tuesday. What... Excuse me? Okay. Yeah. Tell, be sure and tell the guys exactly what's going on with it. Right, and, uh, right. I had my Honda went in, and it turned out to be a clock spring. Huh. And uh, I, yeah. a clock spring. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's in the steering wheel. So, right. I tried to uh, go online and see. They tell you, know, you know, there's a lot of, everyone has their own answer, but there's really no well, one answer, I don't think. Well, there's a lot of stuff involved in it when you get to electronics, especially oh, yeah. the car, because all they are is electronic computer on four wheels running down the road. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, got a I sensor you. for everything. So, yeah, good luck with that. Be sure and tell right, the guys well, what your concerns are. And yeah, they'll be that. seeing it Tuesday. So, Okay, Jerry, appreciate it. Love your show. Happy New Year. Happy New you Year. You too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we're back. We're back. Uh, 719-1490, 719-1490. It's open lines. You don't have to stay what we're talking about. You can jump over and you can, you can ask a question about your cars and stuff like that. Electronics on cars and intermittent problems are a booger to fix. That's the, the, it's intermittent problems are worse than electronic problems because intermittent means they don't happen all the time. And as long as it'll happen and stay there, whatever you do, if you've got, and this is you too, Spencer, if you've got a, (coughs) excuse me, have a light set on that dash, do not clear it. Don't go out and disconnect the batteries. Leave that mal indicator light on. And if it comes on, because we'll go in and tap that and see what the history is on this car. That'll give us a history and a starting place on it. Because electric is a different ball game. The good thing is your lights are out on the dash and they're they're staying out. That's a good sign. Then that'll narrow it down to some of the things that can affect it, and they'll find it over there. All right, 719-1490, give us a shout. 719-1490, any comments on electric vehicles uh, before I get into the million-mile-plus cars? Going once. Going twice. Jim, you want to chime in before I take off on this million mile? Uh, yeah, I have one last thing on on the electric, on the city plan. Um, yeah. Um, according to the EPA, 29% of pollution comes from transportation section. That's cars and trucks and airplanes. Uh, let me read what the thing is. Of course, this is the EPA. Uh, 25% comes from electric production. So the, the, the energy to produce your electric in your house, 25% of greenhouse gases come from electric production. Okay. Um, 20, 23% comes from industry. 13% comes from residential. Mostly they, they say they say that's from, like, oil heating and gas heating. And 10% comes from agriculture, so that's all your beef cows. Well, not. There's other things that that are in there. But uh, so... That's the big one. Um, 
that's the big one is the beef cash, you know. So when when we go away to green cars and we have to produce more electricity, it's still gonna we're gonna get a we're still gonna have a bunch of um, uh, greenhouse gas because we're gonna have more electricity produced. Now the concept is that the, the all the electric power plants are gonna use solar and, and wind to produce the electricity that we need. So just thought I'd throw that out there, Jerry. Well, that's that's interesting because that's more money that's got to be spent in order to get that infrastructure put in. More, well, more money, yeah. It is, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. You know, Jerry, you should just give cars. your money out. <laughs> what? You should just give all your money. What? Well, should, I mean, nothing we can do give, about it. You should, you should just give them all okay. your money, Jerry. Yeah, I know. Just, just sign your check over, right? Right. All right. Here we go. Fifteen highest mileage cars. Which one do you think is the highest mileage car, Jim? What? What brand? Yeah. What car? What? What? What, what type of car? It's got three talking- million miles on it and still running. I wouldn't have a clue, Jerry. Three million miles on a car? Three million miles? Three million uh, how, how much, miles on how, a car. How old is this thing? 1966. Wow. 1966. Volvo 1800S, as in Sam, over three million miles. Okay? This thing, <laughs> this thing goes... The explanation on that is an oil change, OEM maintenance schedule, but it's at 3,000 miles on the 66 Volvo. And it had a picture of the guy standing right beside it, still driving it. But he does a lot of cross-country driving, and it just thing just runs and runs and runs. All right. Now, that's number one. Let's start with 15, well, I, number 15. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, how many miles? Three million? Three million how many miles? Over three what million. What was it? Over three million. Yeah. Same engine, same transmission. What's your next question? So that's, a, that's an average of 53,000 miles a year. <laughs> I, I told you he drove it over the road. That was the That's a lot. That's fifty-six years of driving. Sixty-six. That's in two thousand eighteen. In two thousand eighteen, he missed the Guinness World Guinness record by, I want to say, like eighteen or twenty miles or something like that. Very low. Oh my God! How heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's disgusting. Number fifteen. 1964 Porsche 356C, as in Charlie. It's got 1 million miles. Uh, It's serviced every 3,000 miles and has been serviced at 3,000-mile increments since he bought the car for over five decades. So, and this is, people out there listening to this, you need to, there, there's a way they keep these going, and it's called preventive maintenance and regular maintenance, especially oil changes. You, number 14, you've got a 2007 Toyota Tundra truck 
with over a million miles. Number 13, a 1989 Saab SPC, one million miles. Number 12, 1996 Lexus LS400. Actually, I had one of these. Didn't know it would last that long. LS400, one million miles. Number 11, 1991 Honda Accord EX, 1.16 million miles. Number 10, 2006 F-250, 1.2 million miles. And they said the engine was a 7.3, and I'm going, it can't be a 7.3. They didn't put a 7.3 in an 06. And evidently, they still had the 7.3 that they put in different pieces of machinery and stuff that they run around the country. I think that's what the guy had put in his 06 is the reason he got the 7.3, because they're just about indestructible if you just keep them serviced. Number nine, 06 Chevy Silverado 3500, 6.6 Duramax, 1.22 million miles. Number eight, 1966 Mercedes-Benz. 250 SE, 1.28 million miles. Number seven, 91 Chevy C1500, half done, 1.29 million miles. And they didn't tell me what kind of engine they had in there. I'd kind of like to see that. Number six, 83 Lincoln Town Car, 1.3 million miles on an 83 Lincoln Town Car. Number five, not, this will get you, 1963 VW Beetle, 1.61 million miles on a VW. Oh, yeah, a little caveat. Seven engines to get there. But the chassis has 1.61 million miles. So you can keep them running. You can keep them all done if you're willing to invest some money in your product. Number four, a 63 Plymouth Fury with 1.62 million miles on a 63 Plymouth Fury. Must add Number a three, what? Must add a slant six. I must have had. Number three, 79 Volvo 245 GL. 1.63 million. Number two, 76 Mercedes 240D. I think that's a D is in diesel. 2.85 million. And the number one still hanging in there, 66 Volvo. 66 1800S. 3.25 million. Okay? And the explanation on them is uh, all changed. Follow the recommendation. Schedule preventive maintenance. And that's what gets these guys the mileage. Of course, you're going to have to put an engine in. It's proven by that little Volkswagen. I was getting ready when I read the article on the Volkswagen. It says quite evident he wasn't running in Arizona for his air-cooled engine. 
Air-cooled engines don't work too well when it's 160 degrees on the freeway. But um, it, then they put the amount of engines that he put in that little thing to keep it running. But the, showed a picture of it. Body and stuff still good shape. Uh, you know, you can keep them running if you put the money in them. All right. So now, here I can't keep. You didn't say go how ahead, many Jim. The Volvo cha- how many times did the Volvo change his motor, or did he ever change it? Uh, he claims that they still got the same motor and transmission. So three three million miles on the original motor and transmission. Three point two five million. Three point three and a quarter. I find that a little. I find it a little difficult to believe, but I'm just reading from the article that I pulled up. Fifteen cars with the highest mileage. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that it's it's not possible. I, I'm not disputing the facts. I just I just was curious to know because the VW going a million miles on on what motor I could never see, just because of the wear factor in the in the air cooled motor. And then VW motors are at the time over over time are, are were fairly inexpensive to work on. You know, you could rebuild one for a hundred bucks. Cylinders and yep. and. You know they're pretty. They were pretty cheap in the day. They're more expensive now, but um, um, mm-hmm. but if a, a Volvo motor that ran that much from the '60s, you know, that's a that's a testament to their metallurgy in the '60s because most '60s motors don't run that well. They they tend to have you know, right. lots of you know, lots of uh, cylinder wear and lots of um, lots of um, other issues just because the metal. The metallurgy wasn't as good as it is today. Um, right. But me- right. Maybe he gets it. He warms it up, preheats it with a with a block heater, warms it up, and drives it at you know at fifty miles an hour continuously, and then st- then cools it down and shuts it off. I mean, you know, maybe he does that. I don't know. That's a very impressive though. Quite quite impressive. Three and a quarter million miles on anything. That's 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 a true testament right there. Well. All right. Well, one thing, uh, you know that the 18-wheelers, they run how many million miles on those? I read an article on one that had over 6 million miles. One had uh, 7, 8, eight, eight million miles, but the guy, you know, he'd pop the heads on it and put cylinders in it and stuff like that. But, uh, right, yeah, that's, know, that's, that, all that's on the, the road. deal, though. I will say yeah, that these vehicles that have all of this mileage on them, most of it is driving through speed out on freeways. If you run back and forth across the country and you do it for a living and you're, that's what you do. Uh, but I, that three million, boy, that, that, that was something else. Uh, but if you do run out on the freeway <coughs> and you cruise, that's less wear and tear than if you go to the grocery store. Because Correct. you don't run it long enough to keep it in closed loop on the short runs. If you run around town, you're stopping, you're accelerating out, you're, it takes more fuel, so you push more fuel through there and a better chance of a wash down. But if you're cruising on the freeway, it's cruising speed. Everything is there. The oil pressure is there. If the oil's been changed, it'll be good. Your cooling system has to be taken care of. Uh, there is a lot of stuff that go in getting a hundred thousand miles on it, two hundred thousand. We see a lot of cars got two forty five, two twenty five and stuff like that in Tucson. And 
Brian's got one. I think he quoted what it had over 400,000 miles on it. And uh, the guy, it he keeps it serviced. He keeps it, it just everything is done on time with good quality oils. Uh, and he just takes care of it. So you can get this out of it. My dentist called me one time and he said, you know something? Automobiles are kind of like dental. As long as you stay on top of it and keep it corrected as needed and do a little preventive maintenance, uh, you can hang on to your teeth. If you don't, you're going to wind up replacing it just like an engine in a car. So he said, as long as you do your preventive maintenance on, on the dental, uh, you can have your teeth. If you do preventive maintenance on your car and correct everything before it comes and blows up, uh, like, a, you know, the root canal, um, then you can get it all done. So I thought that was pretty impressive. But it it still works that way. All right. I got a little little thing here that on jump-starting, uh, a car, when you jump start a car, these late model cars are electronic nightmares, for lack of a better word, because when you get into them and there's not an obvious, you have to start digging. Recommendation on a jump start is use a starter box. If you're able to uh, jump the battery, you put the hot battery lead on this jump box, it'll be the red one, you put that on the hot or the red post, uh, the positive post on the battery, and then you take the ground wire and you put it on a piece of metal away from the battery as far as you can get it so that it don't get hung up in the fan and stuff like that. Use your head and go to a metal part on the engine. That keeps the spark down because normally when you hook up the last, which is the negative, you hook up a negative to the block, you'll get a little bit of spark. When you do that, if you've got a bad battery and you've got a lot of that bad liquid laying on top of it, it can blow up in your face. So take the jumper cable in, the black one, and hook it to a metal part on the car motor. And then you can uh, go ahead and jump your starter and do it safely. And if you're changing, replacing a battery, make sure that you replace it with the same battery that it was recommended from a manufacturer. Uh, because even with that, you may need to reprogram the battery due to the software program. Now, the software program is everything is computer control. The computer actually knows how much life you've got left in your battery. So if you take a battery that's almost dead and the computer's reading it as almost dead, it is charging it accordingly with the alternator and you're charging this battery back, the computer has that registered in its memory. Now, all of a sudden, you put a brand-new battery in this car, the computer's going, oh, I didn't know that. I'm still throwing stuff at it electrically, and it's going to overcharge your battery. In about 12 months, the battery's going to be dead again. You're going to be scratching your head trying to figure out what happened. So on these late model cars, you need to do a little research and make sure that before you change your battery, make sure, or a shop changes your battery, make sure they are familiar with these little idiosyncrasies that these things have because everything is computer control. 
if you don't, if you put a new battery in, when the computer's used to seeing a worn out battery, and it's having to jump, it's having to push the alternator, put put more juice in this battery, put more juice in this battery. Then you put a brand new one in it. It don't need that. But the computer don't know it yet. And so in about 12 months, it's still, it's still laying a charge out there longer than it actually should. And everything to the computer is normal, except you put a brand new battery in there and you didn't tell the computer. So that's the reason you have to reprogram some of these things with a software program. So heads up, that's my tech tip for today. So if you plan on changing, you got a late model vehicle, uh, you may want to Google it to see if you have to reprogram your uh, car. The other thing is a battery, uh, keep alive memory, little, little, little battery thing that plugs in. And it keeps the uh, electrical system running while you're changing your battery out. It keeps uh, the memory alive in all these other sensors and stuff. And they're not that expensive. And if you're going to be doing it yourself, it's highly recommended that you get one of these battery tenders to keep the memory alive, keep juice to that system while you're actually changing the battery out. And then you won't have to go through that 9,000 steps to get everything put back in place. you have any comments on that, Mr. Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing? Have you, just a quick question, have you ever had a battery blow up in, on you? Yes. Me too. Two of them, in fact. We had a, a customer rolled into the to the uh, shop, and she said, I got a dead battery, I got a dead battery. We raised the hood, and that thing's getting there smoking a little bit. I said, let's uh, let it cool down a little bit, and then we'll charge it. Uh, meanwhile, let's go in the office and uh, get you a cup of coffee or something and give that thing about 15 minutes to cool down. We walked in, closed the door, and her battery blew up under her hood. If we'd have went to work on that, we would have had a technician with a whole bunch of battery acid and plates and stuff in them. And um, then I put a brand I put a brand new battery in my '79 Chevy three quarter ton. I was driving down the freeway at uh, uh, coming coming back to the shop, and the battery blew up under the hood. And I thought I had run over somebody. That's how bad the vibration was. And then I smelt the battery acid immediately. And I was at St. Mary's Road. I was able to swing off to a service station really quick and get their water hose and start cooling that thing down. But when I opened the hood, I had battery plates laying on top of the engine. And uh, the battery case was split completely. And uh, so when I turned it back in, and I want, I'll be nice to the manufacturer, but uh, I wasn't real happy with them. They, when we put that battery in, it was auxiliary battery. And, uh, of course, first thing that we look at, the first thing I look at when I installed a darn thing was make sure everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. All the tie-downs are there. There's no loose connections. There's no way that that thing is going to be created by something that I did. And uh, sure enough, when the, a battery blew up, it uh, blew up with the cable still attached to the post. Uh, it was just a short and a battery pack inside. Never could figure out why that battery blew up unless it was something else because it was an older truck. 
Everything was hooked up the way it was supposed to be. And I, it, that was a replacement. That wasn't a new battery. That wasn't a new uh, installation or anything. It was all hooked up. Everything was clean. Everything was exactly the way it's supposed to be. And it blew up on me. And uh, <coughs> when I got it back to the shop, after I disconnected everything under there, so it'd be no chance of anything doing anything else after I washed all the acid off of it on the ground um, and got it off my fenders and off of the side of the hood and all of that because battery acid will take your paint off. Uh, drove back to the shop and yep. we went over that thing with a fine tooth comb. Everything that we could see because I didn't want another battery blowing up on me because that is one scary son of a gun. And, but I have had people try to get me to help them jump start cars that the, their battery cables was coat hangers, wires that was wired to the battery and then wired to the battery cable. I mean, just wrapped around the battery cable, like you just wrap a wire around a cable. Uh, I said, no, not going to do that. Not going to do it, buddy. And I don't recommend you do it either. And I explained to him the best I could why, and he says, oh, I didn't know that. People, there are a few things you need to know about a car. One is battery and battery technology when it goes in. You have to get the recommended battery for the car. Batteries do need service. You need to check and make sure you're not creating a white coat on the battery cables. And you can pour Coca-Cola on a battery cable and it will clean the outside. They don't do anything to the inside. The part that's actually working makes the battery cable look pretty, but it don't do anything. So if you're going to clean your battery terminals, uh, one, uh, just remember, if you take a battery cable off, a hot cable off, or a ground cable off a battery, you lose your battery power to the vehicle. Uh, you know, some of the diesels have twin batteries. And it gets to be a problem when you get ready to jump one of those because it's double batteries. If you got dual batteries in a diesel and one of them goes dead, you probably, and they should have been replaced as a pair. So when one goes dead, the other one's not far behind it. And the only way you can check the batteries on the diesel is by disconnecting one, check the battery, put the leads back on the other battery, and then check the other battery. That's the only way you can test them properly. And that'll tell you what kind of life you got left in them. Most of the shops, I know Simmons does. I know that uh, Automotive Specialist does. Mr. Test First, don't guess. I know that Parker Automotive does. They've got the equipment. They can tell you approximate how many, how much life you've got left in your battery. We have these big fancy machines that you put them on. And it will give us a cold cranking amp. It'll give us the uh, starting amps. Uh, it'll give us everything that we need to know. And it'll tell you. It'll even give us a printout. This battery needs to be replaced. This battery's okay. Uh, charge the battery and retest. And so all of it is pretty much cut and dry, but it's new technology. We used to have to do it the hard way with a hand preload, and then we uh, you make a decision from that. If you've got, when you're looking at your battery and you think you might have a bad battery, you can put your hand most, well, some of them you can still get to. You can put your hand on the side of the battery case. If the battery case is hot, get that battery replaced. If the battery case has bulges on the side, 
That means it's bad. Get it replaced. Don't say, well, it's still working right now. No, get it replaced. That's something you don't want to play with because it's like a bomb under your hood. And I can tell you for driving a three-quarter ton four by four on a freeway when a battery goes out, I actually started looking around because I was certain that somebody had snuck up under my view and I had run over it. I, I was absolutely positive because the front end come off the ground. It, it was just like it just it was horrendous. So just just pay attention. And when you're working on a battery, don't work on a battery unless you have eye protection on. You don't wear goggles. Uh, you know, if it blows your lips off, that's one thing. But if it takes your eyes out, you can't see. Lips they can put back on. But just be careful. Wear gloves if you got them. Uh, but remember, battery acid is a caustic. It will burn through just about anything. Uh, good rubber gloves uh, will help you there. When you, you can clean off the top of the battery, remember another thing, too. Batteries don't leak. If a battery starts leaking, it's either on an overcharged situation and it's pushing it back out the, the fill holes, unless it's a um, uh, uh, shell uh, battery, a closed battery like uh, the yellow tops and stuff. And then you use the proper equipment and test them. There's about three different types of batteries out there now. And you need to make sure that if it has a matte-based battery in the car and you get ready to change it, you change it with the same battery that it come from from the manufacturer because that's what everything is based on. That's what's talking to your system. And you need the same battery so that the computer realizes that you have the same battery in there, and then life goes a lot smoother. So that's that's my little tech tip on batteries, battery replacement and jump start. Don't try to short rate. And if you have a car that you're parking, like my Mustang, and you're sitting in your garage and you drive it about once every week and a half or something and you want to keep it up, go to get you a little cheapy plug-in battery tender put it on it's one and a half one and a half amps or uh, 1.2 amps and you can put that on that battery it is a battery maintainer in other words when i put my mustang back it should be at full charge according to the gauge as it is and if i put that little 1.2 it sets there and it will maintain whatever's in that battery and then when you get ready to start it again, you got a hot battery. They have automatic shutoffs, and they don't have enough power to charge a dead battery. You probably could, but it probably sat there for about a year. But um, they do have battery chargers that you can buy. It's fairly inexpensive. That'll do everything you need to do. And now they're making them where they're automatic. You put them on it, the battery chargers will read the condition of your battery, and it will adjust to the load that it needs to recharge this battery. So technology is a wonderful thing, but you got to use it. So that's another little tip that you can use. What do you got you want to add to that, Jim? Uh, I, I love the little battery maintainers. They they work great, especially on computer-controlled cars, because the computers still drain power even when the car's off. Um, and if you don't mm -hmm. drive it for a, a week or two, you have one of those little maintainers on there. Your the car will work perfect. Uh, I used to have a I had a car that was 
a newer car that I hardly ever drove because it just wasn't convenient for me to drive. And I went through three batteries, you know, and they were they were AGM, the MAP batteries, and they were $180 each. And then I realized for, for $14, I could buy the little maintainer and, and stop that whole process. Because, so, like you said, when you, when you, you <laughs> try to jump the dead battery in a computer-controlled car, it throws a code because the computer sees a, a battery that's not correct. And then you're there you are, and now you have lights on, and and it causes all kinds of havoc with that computer stuff. For, for yeah, so for fourteen bucks, you put the little you put the little thing on there, and you can do them under the hood. Even oh, the cars with the batteries in the floors and the trunks have the have the ports on the under the hood. You know where you can put right. them up there the little little leads, and and they're they're just specifically designed for that. And put them on there, close the hood down, or don't close it all the way. Just half latch it and leave it on there, and it works like a top. I was going to tell you my battery blow-up story. Um, I was 16. My mother's Ford Granada, grenaded, um, you know, like Ford Granadas did. Uh, <laughs> I jumped. Uh, I jump-started it when I my mother had driven it, and the bat and or she tried to start it, and it wouldn't start because the battery was dead, and it was hot and smoking. I didn't know what hot and smoking batteries meant. I had no clue. I had no idea that. That batteries, when they get low on water, well, like batteries generate hydrogen sulfide, and when they get low on water, there's no water to keep the hydrogen gas con- contained. So, mm. you know, it's venting, and I hooked it up to jumper cables up to it, and I hooked it up to my dad's uh, Chevy Blazer, and boom, it took the top slap off that battery. It was it was ex- it exploded like a grenade. All over the place. Um, took paint off fenders. I got, I got in trouble for that. <laughs> and of course, it was a Granada. You know, I didn't feel so bad, but it was a Granada. You know, it was my mother's car, so I had to. Mm-hmm. Still okay. Um, but yeah, um, the spark from the hydrogen spark the the you know because the gas came out and it's hydrogen sulfide, so it doesn't it doesn't lift qu- like hydrogen does. It kind of it kind of stays down because it's got the sulfide in it. And that thing went off. You, you couldn't have you couldn't have had a bomb any closer to you. Not I was it just about I I didn't know what to do. Tell you what I I, I had to go inside though and uh, change my clothes. I can tell you that, and yeah. not for the battery acid. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know because because um, it was bad. It was bad, and I I learned right then and there that you know charging procedures are uh, really kind of finicky you should never just jump in the middle of one and and have one you know because if i'd been laying over that it'd blown up right all over me and it wouldn't matter whether i'm wearing goggles or a face mask it would have blown it would have been all over That's my right. head all over me everywhere so That's right yeah they're not they're not some if you don't know you know look if, if you don't know take it out of the car take it out of the car and take it someplace right. you know i mean i get that might be inconvenient but it's certainly a lot better than going to the hospital. It's certainly a lot better than, you know, having having the car wrecked or, you know, you wrecked, you know. It's um I, I get it, it's, oh. it's not it's not fast and you're gonna lose some time, but better than that than need, the alternative. That's right. We need not to assume because we were able to get away with changing batteries. Uh, we need to we need to pay attention to what's actually going on with these things, um, and 
it, the more information you have, there, Google, you got Google out there. You can Google batteries and uh, battery problems and stuff like this and get a lot of information. Some of it you can use, some of it you can't. But uh, don't go into this thing cold turkey on these late model cars because the electronics is uh, – and by the way, you can put a battery in that is supposedly for that year car, automobile, and it be still be the wrong battery. It could be the wrong anything. If it's a new battery in, it may not set any codes or anything like that, but it'll overcharge that battery without setting a code because it's running off a of memory because the computer wasn't reprogrammed to say, hey, this is a new battery now, so we're okay. And... Uh, so and then it'll go out in a year's time. And you think, well, this is this battery's a piece of junk. That's the reason you check and make sure you get the right battery in. So heads up. All right, got a uh, PSA, public service announcement. Saturday, January the twenty second, at the University of Arizona campus, Agriculture Research Center at University Farm. This educational event features industry experts and local veterinarians presenting on a series of equine health topics for horse owners. There's a lot of horses in Tucson, by the way. 250 participants from across southern Arizona are expected to attend this year's event. Now, if you're interested in attending this event, I just told you what the date was, just told you what the, uh, at the University of Arizona Farms, but if you register, it, there is a fee. If you register between now and January the 11th, it's $45. If you register after January the 11th to the 22nd to showtime, it's $60. So you can save 15 bucks by registering early. It starts at 7.15 in the morning on Saturday the 22nd, and it runs to 4 p.m. I have attended one because I really didn't understand what it was all about, and I enjoyed the one I attended a few years ago. This is the sixth annual. I think I went to the first one. So it's been a while since I was down there. But uh, Southern Arizona Mounted Search and Rescue, we will actually be doing a, a, a small training session that we need to catch up on uh, to let people know what actually goes on when we come to get you out of the field and the type of training that these people that come to get you out of the field have gone through. And uh, that'll start, I think, at noontime, and we'll run it about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and then we'll have a booth over there so you, with a lots of actual pictures for search and rescue. Uh, you won't see any of the faces of the people that we actually rescue because that's against the law. So we have a lot of scenery, a lot of stuff that you can put together and give you an idea. And we can also tell you how to stay out of the problems out there. They wanted us to do uh, uh, heat exhaustion, a uh, little, little blurb on heat exhaustion, what heat exhaustion is. Well, we see that. That's very prevalent in Tucson, believe it or not, in the wintertime as well as the summer because people don't think they need to drink but or drink water. And... Um, we can, uh, we'll have a booth with people that's qualified to answer just about any question you've got there. We will have part of uh, the foot people in search and rescue. I think there's going to be about 20 there. We'll have one of the big search and rescue trucks to give you an idea of what type of equipment and stuff we actually use. So when you dial 911 when you're out and lost, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the background to get out and get you. 
and we're very, very, I'm very proud of the SAMSAR unit and also the search and rescue in southern Arizona. We're one of the top in the country, so I'm very proud of that. But anyway, it's a symposium. It's on the 22nd. Uh, it costs $45 if you register before January the 11th, 60 bucks if you register after that. And um, it's at the University of Arizona Farms over at Campbell in, uh, what is that, Campbell in well, Rogers. <laughs> First in Campbell and Roger. Campbell and what? Roger. Campbell and Roger. Campbell and Roger, yeah. And, Campbell um, and Roger. But it's, uh, it, the, the event is very well organized. It is sponsored uh, in part by uh, Riata. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to Annette McKenzie at 520. Nine eight one six two six three. If you're going to register online, you can go to. I think you can go to Southerner S A Z E H Symposium at Gmail dot com, or you can call Riata Equine ninety. Is that? I don't have it phone number. Uh, Riata Equine at ninety one hundred East Tankaverde Suite one hundred. You can go there and get information from it too. Uh, let's see if I've got anything else on this. Nope. Highly recommend if you own animals. And I, my favorite saying, if you're going to talk to a veterinarian, this is going to be the cheapest conversation you've ever had at $40 or $45 or $60. It's going to be cheapest conversation. And I, trust me, I know that from having animals. But, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy it. It's very well put together. They're very professional. And a lot of good people, a lot of people put this thing together are absolutely excellent. There's going to be horseshoers there, fairy, well, furriers, um, and you'll enjoy it. So, and it's uh, they, uh, it's sponsored by a portion of the proceeds to benefit Trot Therapeutic Riding of Tucson. So it's not like it's a money making thing for them. They they're just it's a community service, a huge community service, especially if you have animals, and you'll learn a lot just by going to it. All right, Jim, how much more, Andrew? How much more time I got? About five minutes. About five, yes, sir. Okay, well that's good. All right, Lens Auto Brokerage, LensAutoBrokerage.com, dot com, twenty one oh one North Stone Avenue. Five two zero six two eight seventy five hundred. Um, their times have changed. They open at nine o'clock and they close at six. And on Saturday they open at nine and close at four. I don't know what their schedule is this weekend. I expect today, I should say. Six two eight seventy five hundred is the phone number to LensAutoBrokerage dot com and also DesertRV dot com. I talked to Brian. Brian said just put out the. Uh, websites and they can find us and they can go visit desert rv has a uh all their inventory listed on site on the website and lensautobrokers.com also has all their inventory listed on it so if you're looking for a good pre-owned vehicle you want to check out lensautobrokers.com or if you're looking for a brand new car good luck with that LensAutoBrokerage.com. Oh, update on the new cars. I said last week, information still is predicting that by midsummer, the car, all the uh, computer chips and all that stuff, that issue will be solved. 
the car manufacturers will be back up to speed, and you'll be able to get that car that you put a deposit on, what, six months ago? <laughs> uh, the only one I haven't been able to figure out yet is the little uh, base 1995 Ford Maverick hybrid. It comes as a hybrid. And 1995, uh, 19, that's 19,995. And um, uh, all, everything I'm reading on that is people can get the later models, all the fancy with bells and whistles at about 42,000, but they can't get the base. Now, I don't know if there's so many people pre-ordered the base that they just don't have any to put out there right now, or if they think, whoops, this was a hit. Let's just go ahead and upsell. Upsell. I don't know how that program worked for them. But it's a lot of stuff, a lot of information. Now, I just, uh, I'm sitting here watching it rain outside. In fact, I think it just now, now it's still dripping, but it just quit. But it looked like it might have rained about a quarter of an inch while we've been having this program this morning. I love it. Sounds about right. The desert needs the water. What? That that sounds about right, about a quarter of an inch. But since it's raining and we're all hungover, everybody stay home. Don't go out there trying <laughs> to drive in the rain with your with yeah. with with your senses aren't up to one hundred percent. It's not a good idea. Yeah. Do not make me come get you today needlessly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll come get you. No. But don't make me do it needlessly. You know, if you break down, that's great. I'm happy to come get you. But boy, I'll tell you what: if you if you if, if you're just being stupid, <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's let's avoid that. Let's just avoid stupidity. That's why it's Super Safe Saturday. Are you trying to tell me to stay off the road? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, yes, yes. I'm trying to tell you, you stay off the road today. Yes. <laughs> Hey, I have learned so much from listening to you and about the things that actually happens in traffic that I have started to observe a lot of stuff that I just kind of took for granted. And so I haven't even had any real close calls, even with the textures. I assume they're texting when I get ready to move around them. And sure enough, they'll, they'll come over and visit me in my lane. And that's okay if I'm driving a Honda. But there's not that much room left if I'm driving that big truck. So if you're out there, just remember, things happen. It is a piece of mechanical equipment, and you cannot guarantee that that brakes is going to work every time you hit the pedal. All right, we're out of time now. Jim, thanks for being on, buddy. Appreciate the coverage. Appreciate the help. Thank you, Jerry. And for the All right. Time.